Welcome to the Journey Through Grace podcast. We hope as you listen that the Word of God comes alive in your heart and that your journey comes into harmony with God's amazing grace. And now here's Matt. Today I want to continue our lessons in Abraham and I want to talk about a hot subject here, the subject of money, particularly giving. Now, I believe that money has caused more problems in the church well, let me say it this way, not necessarily money, but people's attitude towards it has caused more trouble and more church splits and bigger problems. Uh, you know, everybody just has a different view about this stuff, and it, it gets weird, and people struggle with it. You know, the Bible has a whole lot to say about money and finances. The problem is we don't take New Testament principles and apply them to our life. We we try to live under the law when it comes to paying tithes and giving and doing those things. But you know what? The New Testament is chock full of scriptures about giving and about finances. And I want to talk a little bit about this. We're going to use Abraham as an example. But let me give you some a few little statistics here real quick. Very interesting fact here. Pastor Craig Hill, the faith uh, family, I think it's... Family Faith International or Faith Family International. I'm not for sure. I forgot which one it is. But Craig Hill made this alarming statement. I wrote it down. I've never forgot this. He said, in the New Testament, there's 215 verses on faith. There's 218 verses on love. There's 2,084 verses on money and finances. That's incredible. Ten times the amount of verses on money and finances than love and faith in the New Testament. Now, why is that? You know what? I believe God knows that this money issue is a big issue with everybody. If you're alive on this planet, you're going to have a relationship with money. That's just the way it works. And this is a volatile issue. This is a hot issue. And you start messing with people's money and people get irate. And the worst seems to come out in people when you start talking along these lines or you start asking people to give or you start dealing with something in their finances because our money is connected to our hearts. And we're going to get into this a little bit later on. But this is a big, big deal. It's no wonder out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of them, just shy of half, had to deal with money and finances or principles that could be applied to money and finances. That's a remarkable statement. Jesus knows our heart. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and this is what we fail to understand, that our finances are, or let me say it this way, the, what's happening in our finances and how we treat them is a reflection of what's going on in our heart. Now that's a huge statement. And so I want to study in Abraham, particularly what I want to focus on today is about the tithe. Now this is a really sore subject to a lot of people. I've read reports, 75% of churchgoers are not tithers. And some, some of the reports suggest up to 90% of churchgoers are not tithers. Something's wrong with this picture. And you know what it is? People have been beat over the head with this stuff and they are forced to give they feel coerced to give they feel guilty if they don't give they feel like they're missing god they they just feel obligated 
All of these things are terrible, terrible motivations for giving. And so, you know what I want to do is just go back into the scripture and look, where did the tithe start? Maybe you're not a tither and you think, what is this tithe business? I've heard about that. Who cares? That just seemed like Old Testament stuff. Well, it is Old Testament stuff, but it's been abused and it's been taken out of its context. You know, if you take the text out of the context, you're left with a con. And people have taken scripture about money and finances and lifted it out of its setting and made it say something that it didn't. And they've conned people. And it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And this whole idea of giving, it, it really is a sore subject with people. But you know what? God didn't want it to be this way. This this is a, a integral part of my relationship with God. And, and we're going to see the purpose and the benefits of this. But I want to read over here in our story of Abraham. We've been studying about this for the last few sessions here. In Genesis chapter 14... Just a little bit of background what's happening here. This is after Lot has been captured. He lived in next to Sodom and Gomorrah. The city was overrun by some enemy kings. They take Lot captive. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Abraham gets wind of this whole story, and he gathers up 318 of his own men, and he's going to go rescue Lot. And he comes in and defeats all these kings. And, man, he could have took the spoils for himself. It all belonged to him. And he rescues Lot, and then this guy named Melchizedek shows up. Um, this is Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of the Most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And in this next section it says, he And he, speaking of Abram, gave him a tenth of all. Now this is where we see the tithe show up the very first time in the Bible. This is Abram. Or I call him Abraham. I'll use both names interchangeably. Please forgive me. You know which guy I'm talking about if I do that. So Melchizedek shows up. And many people believe this is a pre-incarnate form of Jesus, and I don't want to get into all of this theology, but Hebrews chapter 7 says Melchizedek didn't have a mother or a father. He knew no end or no beginning, and and it gives reference, at least, to he is something supernatural here. But nonetheless, the Bible says he is a priest of the Most High God. Now, this is probably Abraham's very first encounter with a priest you got to remember, this is approximately 250 years after the flood. There's not uh, just a ton of people. There are no priests. There's church, there are no churches, no synagogues. There's nothing. And Abraham meets the priest of the Most High God. This is probably the very first encounter he's had with anybody like that. Today, there's preachers everywhere. There's ministers. There's people on TV, on the radio. There are a dime a dozen, but not in Abraham's day. And so I, I really believe this is the first encounter he's really going to have with some spiritual figure that's over him, such as a priest, you know, or, you know, we might call him a preacher or something like that today. Nonetheless, Abraham was so taken up and so impressed with this man and wanted to show honor so much to God that he gave him a tenth of 
everything he had. A tenth. Now, the Bible says in the previous few chapters, Abraham was very rich in livestock, in gold, and in silver. And now he could have taken all the spools from this war. But if you continue reading, he didn't do that. He told the, those enemy kings, he said, I don't want you thinking you've made me rich. I'm not taking a thing except for what my men have already eaten. And see, Abraham had the right context of his money in his heart. Because he showed honor and respect to this priest, this man he's never met before, but he was a priest of the Most High God. And because he wanted to honor him, and he wanted to basically offer an offering to this man for God, he gives him a tenth. And that's exactly where the tithe first shows up. Tithe means tenth. Now, here's the problem with this. Abraham did it right. Abraham's offering was out of appreciation, out of respect, out of honor. The very heart of giving has to include those things. But here's where the church likes to live. At least, let me say this, the church circles that I've been around. They like to live in Malachi chapter 3. Let me read this for you. If you've been in church very long, especially any kind of denominational church, you have heard this. This is... This is well, let me just read this before I get into it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that you will not destroy the fruits of the ground, or so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. So here in Malachi, God basically says, You guys are robbing me. You're not bringing your tithes and offerings into my storehouse, and now you're cursed. Now, that was true for these people. You got to remember, this is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was a works-based system. You had to perform a certain way, and then God would respond in kind. This was the what we call the law. Um, and these people lived under this. And if they didn't perform right, there was consequences to it. There was a curse that came upon them. If they didn't bring their tithes and offerings in... There was a curse. Now, the problem I have with this today is Galatians 3:13 and 14 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles. So Christ has redeemed us from this curse that is recorded in Malachi. But see, this is still preached in churches today. You're robbing God. You got to bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse. And if you don't, you're a curse with a curse. Well, the only way you can be cursed with a curse is if Jesus didn't do his job. Man, what a radical statement. Christ redeemed us from the curse of law. I'm redeemed from the curse if I don't give. Now, does that mean I'm free and I don't have to give? No, we're going to get into this in just a little bit. But this whole curse mentality 
is wrong. It's preached from the pulpit today, and it's 100% wrong. It does not fit in the New Testament church. It does not fit in the new born-again believer in the New Testament and the New Covenant. This is law. This is a set of ordinances that the old covenant people had to live by. And it was harsh. I agree, it was harsh. But that's the system that they had in place. These people weren't born again. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. And so God just had to give them a physical set of rules to live by because he couldn't minister inside of their hearts. He couldn't change their hearts. The Bible said they had a heart of stone. And so he just had to be rough with them. He couldn't soften their hearts. He couldn't speak to them that way. And, you know, the law did that. That's the way it was. But now the problem is you bring this over into the church, the new church age here, where Jesus is Lord and Jesus has paid these payments and Jesus redeemed us from the curse, then these verses don't apply to us. Now that doesn't mean that the tithe is not still relevant. But I don't like to use that word tithe because I... It just has a negative connotation to me because of these verses. I simply call it giving. It's just simply giving. But see, you're going to hear this. You're, you've been robbing God. You haven't been paying your tithe. Well, here's what people do. They'll give their tithe. They'll give their 10% of their income and think they're doing God a solid. But this says, you know, if you're going to live by the law, if you're going to live under that curse mentality, then you got to give offerings too. I used to get so, I used to laugh, really. I've been on some of the church boards with their finances, and they would give 11%. They'd give their 10%, which they thought it was a tithe, and then just 1% over would be their offering and thought they were doing the right thing. And they missed the entire point of the exercise. The truth is, if you're going to live under the law, it's more like 30-something percent. There's a not only the tithe, but there's the grain offering, the guilt offering, the sin offering. Uh, there's several of those offerings. And if you add those all up, it's it's 30 some odd percent that you're going to have to give. If you're going to live under the law, then give that much. But see, people don't do that. They just think, I'm going to give 10% and me and God are good. Well, you know what the problem with that is? That's like the mafia. That's like saying, I'm going to pay the Godfather and he won't send Guido over to my house to do some damage. I'm going to stay in good with the mob boss and maybe he won't destroy me. That's mafia. That's organized crime. That's not a father. That's Godfather, not God the Father. And see, we that's the way people see this tithe business and it's weird for them and they they don't understand because they're not getting the difference between old covenant and new covenant i'm not cursed if i don't give you're not cursed if you don't give you're stupid but you're not cursed god just made this system for us it's for our benefit it's for our benefit you think god needs your money you think God, who, who paves the streets with gold, who builds city walls out of jasper and all these precious stones, who carves his gates out of a single pearl, you think he's broke and needs your American money? Of course not. He's after your heart. And so he has implemented this system of giving to rid you of selfishness and greed. It's never to buy a blessing. 
it's never a membership fee. And see, I've heard the stupidest thing people say. If you just listen, you hear some of the dumbest things, and you can locate people where they're at. Oh, you got to give God his 10%. If you'll give him his 10%, he'll bless your 90. How dumb can you get and still breathe? The truth is, all of it's his. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He created it all. It's all his. He's the one that blessed it. He's the one that said it was good. He's the one that made all the resources. He made all the gold. He made all the oil. He made all the silver. He made all the cattle. It's all his. And and you think if you could just give him a little part that he's going to bless the other part? Man, that's dumb. That That's just, there again, it's mafia money. That's just paying off the crime boss so you can get a blessing, a membership fee. That is so anti-New Testament, it's not even funny. And so I want to give you some pictures here of what New Testament giving really is. Now, you can still call it a tithe if you want. I do not tithe. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm not a tither. I'm a giver. I don't give 10%. I go far beyond that. And that's not tooting my own horn. I'm not bragging about that. The tithe is like a starting point to me. It's not the end goal. It's not a struggle every month. If I, oh, if I just give my 10%, if I just pay it, me and God's going to be good. It's nothing like that. That's not a relationship. That's terrible. So I don't consider myself a tither. I give my, I consider myself a giver. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth about giving. And here's the instructions for a New Testament tither or a new testament giver if you want to call it that i just want to read a few of these verses this is chapter 9 of second corinthians now i say he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart not grudgingly or under compulsion for god loves a cheerful giver and god is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed that is is written he scattered abroad he gave to the poor his righteousness endures forever now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness I think it's very interesting here that Paul writes this to the church and he calls it a seed. He doesn't just call it an offering or a gift. He calls it a seed and the entire context of this passage is to think of your giving as a seed. Now this this can be life-changing. If you get a hold of this, this can transform your giving. If you thought of it as a seed instead of a tax... It's going to have far different meaning to you. A far different meaning. See, a seed is something that temporarily leaves your hand, but it doesn't leave your life. That's powerful. A tax is gone. That's something you owe. You pay a tax. Nobody likes to pay taxes. When you give a tax, it's gone. That's it. It's over. You're never going to see that money again. But a seed, I've got something working for me. You can't see it. It's below the ground, but it's working. 
So anyway, here's some mandates or some guidelines for New Testament giving. He said, let each man give as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So how much do we give in the New Testament? Well, really it needs to be between you and God. You decide, you purpose an amount in your heart. You pray about it if you want to do that. For, I don't even do that now. But you purpose an amount in your heart and you give and you do so in faith, in honor of God, in worship of Him, knowing that this is a kingdom principle and you get to be a part of it. And, and I don't do it grudgingly, and you don't have to do it grudgingly. You don't have to, oh man, they're passing the offering plates again. i got to put something in there. Everybody's going to see if I don't put money in the plate. I know people listening to the sound of my voice have done that. They felt obligated to give. And that is not New Testament giving. You decide what's appropriate in your heart. In your heart. And if God can capture your heart... He'll capture your finances. That's what this whole thing is about. It's never been about God getting your money. He wants your heart. If he has your heart, he has all of you. The money, the actions, the language, the worship. It's all his. But see, we hold on to these things so tight. We have such insecurities about our needs not getting met. And, and we think, I've worked hard for this money. I, I've worked so hard for this. I don't want to give it away. Well, look at it this way. What if God was to take his part out and leave you with what you could do by yourself? That means he would take away all the oxygen. He's going to take away your ability to move, take away your ability to problem solve, and you're reduced to a pile of dirt. God gives us the ability to get wealth, the Bible says. It's never been about us and what we can do. You think you've worked hard for that money? No, God gave you the ability to earn that money. He's the source of it all. Yeah, you might have worked, but if he was to take his part away, you would be nothing. And so giving a portion of that back to him is a way of saying, Thank you, God. I recognize you're, a, you're the source of every good thing I have. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or variableness in turning. And God, I just want to say thank you. And here's my gift to you. I'm not trying to buy a blessing. I'm not obligated to do this. I'm not cursed. I wanted you to know I appreciate it. I wanted you to know I'm thankful for Jesus. I want you to know that I want to give and I want to see your kingdom grow in this world. I want other people's lives to be changed. And you know what? When I get that attitude in my heart and giving, it becomes so valuable to me. It's something I look forward to, not dread. It's something I look forward to because I know a simple gift of just money, something so simple. And God can take that and, and use it in his kingdom and transform lives. He can do miracles in people's lives. Getting people saved, getting people healed, getting marriages restored, getting help to families that need it. All of this stuff that can God wants to do in the lives of people, it all takes money. Every bit of it takes a lot of money. And I get to be a part of that? Man, I, sign me up. Sign me up. That is awesome. A simple little gift, and God can change somebody's life with it. 
See, that's the heart of New Testament giving. It's not law. It's not obligation. It's not something I have to pay. It's an attitude of my heart that says, Father, I recognize you, I honor you, and I want to give. I hope you're getting this, brother or sister. Some of you probably never thought of giving this way. It's been a burden to you. If you will get this mindset, this will change your life. Now, now here's the other part I want you to see. Here's, here's another area where some of the churches have taken this into con out of context. There is also rewards for your giving, and it's not wrong to believe for it. Religion will tell you, oh no, you got to give and expect nothing in return. They think that's some, for, some form of holiness, just to, just to give. I don't want anything back, God. I just want to give. How dumb can you get and still breathe? Paul said right here, this was a seed. He said, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. God said there's going to be rewards when you start giving. Why? Did you buy that blessing? No. I just cooperated with the laws of finances that said my money is a seed. And when I sow a seed, I get a harvest. There's nothing evil about that. There's nothing evil about being blessed. What gets evil is when we try to manipulate God to get something. That's when it becomes a problem. And that's where some of the people, not necessarily any one particular person, but people, we've all been around them or at least heard them or saw them on TV where they're, they're trying to manipulate people to give and promise them, man, if, you're gonna, if you'll give this, God's going to give you this $1,000 by tomorrow. And they make all these wild promises. And there again, it's the wrong heart. You're, you're trying to manipulate God's system for just merely financial gain. You miss the heart of the exercise. Yes, there's rewards in giving. Yes, there's rewards. God said there was. Jesus said, oh, he said, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. Jesus himself said, if you give, there's going to be rewards to it. Now, here's the deal. That's not the primary reason why we give. It's a byproduct of why we give. If you're just giving to get there again, you've missed the point of the exercise. You have missed the reverence and the awe of God. See, if I keep my heart focused on who God is, yeah, there's going to be blessings coming my way. Yeah, there's going to be a harvest off the seed I've sown. But you know what that means? I just get to sow a bigger seed next time. I just get to give more. Hallelujah. It ain't just to fill up my bank account. Praise God. There's going to be money in my bank account. But then now, I've got a harvest that was bigger than my original seed. I get to give more. I get to have a greater impact. I get to do so much more because this harvest has been multiplied back to me. That's what Paul said here, that God supplies this seed. He multiplies. He increases. Uh, these are some of the terminology that's in God's kingdom. God's a multiplier. That's what he does. Now, here's the key. This is what I want you to get. A lot of people will say, you know what, I just can't for afford to give. My bills are so tight, I, I'm just barely getting along, barely keeping my head above water, and if I give, I'm not going to have enough. I understand that. I understand that in the natural, if you take 
a certain amount of money and take away from it, you have less. But that's not how it works in God's kingdom. You take a certain amount of money and take away from it, and it's multiplied and given back to you. God's a multiplier. He's not a subtractor. The key to this whole thing is you have to start. You start with the seed. Don't wait until you can afford it. Let me, t- let me give you a bit of advice. You're never going to have an extra 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever percentage just laying around. I have nothing to do with this money. I have no plan. I don't know what to do with it. I guess I could give it. You're probably never going to have that. You're going to have to, on purpose, decide in your heart, God, I'm going to be a giver. I want my heart to be a reflection of you. And your word said in John 3:16, you love the world so much that you gave You gave us Jesus. And because you're a giver, God, I want to be like you and I'm a giver. Yeah, it's going to cost you something up front. Of course. But then God's going to show up. God's going to supernaturally start blessing in areas that you didn't think was possible. He's going to start opening doors, causing increase, causing multiplication to happen. But you have to start. Look at these verses that I read here in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. Notice he didn't say he who supplies seed to the person that has intentions of sowing. In other words, you can't sit around and say, well, when God gives me extra, then I'll give it. That is not what he said. He said, I'm going to give extra to the guy who's giving. In other words, you got to start. You start this process. You become the sower God will bring the increase. If you sit around and wait for the increase before you start sowing, you're going to miss it. It's not going to work for you. You step out in faith and you start sowing. Okay, now this raises a lot of questions. One of them is, where do I sow? Well, the Bible says you bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse. So generally the local church or the church that you're a member of is where your tithes and offerings go. But let me say this. The storehouse was a place where they stored food. And so they would bring their tithes and offerings to where they would get food. If your church isn't feeding you, you probably need to move churches. You need to start giving where you're fed. If there's a particular ministry that you love, maybe it's somebody on TV or on the radio or books that you read, and every time man, you hear those words coming from that ministry, it, it just resonates in your heart and you're uplifted you're encouraged, start sowing right there. Give where you're fed. If a ministry of some level is a blessing to you and it's been helping you, you need to give there. Start sowing right there in faith and saying, God, I want this gift to honor you and I want you to use this to transform somebody else's life. I thank you that it's coming back to me in abundance and so I can give more next time. But for now, Father, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. And so in faith, you need to give where you're fed. Another question that people have is, how much do I give? Well, this is going to be different for everybody. And I, I just like to coin, I kind of coin this term. You, you give on the level that it requires your faith to do it. You know, if you've got $100,000 and you give 20 bucks, that requires zero faith. You gave out of your abundance. That That's not an act of worship or honor. That's just a, 
a guilt offering you put in the plate so you wouldn't feel guilty about not giving anything. I'm not suggesting you got to give all your money away, but there's an amount there that you can settle on, that you can think about that says, man, if I was to give that much, wow, that's a step of faith for me. Well, that's the amount you ought to give. Whatever amount it takes for you to attach your faith to it, it's going to be different for everybody. If I can give this amount, God, and I can do it in faith, I'm on the right track. Now, we, we just have to get these issues settled in our heart. There's not a New Testament mandate for a certain amount or a certain location. We just have to have some practical knowledge here. I'm going to sow where I'm fed, and I'm going to sow where I can attach my faith and believe and trust God, and it's going to be awesome. See, this simplifies this whole tie thing if we just do what the Bible says to do. If we quit taking Scripture out of context, quit living under the law, quit listening to some old preacher that don't have a clue what he's talking about, and just go to the Bible and let the Bible get in the way of what we believe, we're going to see results. Amen. That's a mini-sermon in itself. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of giving. That's what giving was about. This is what Abraham was doing in Genesis and he was just given in honor of God. And if you keep on reading, the very next thing that happened, God said, Abraham, I am your shield and great is your reward. God blessed him even more after he gave a tithe. It was just awesome. It wasn't wrong for Abraham to get more. God did that. And, and I, wanna, I want to mention this for real. Some of you have a real hard time in receiving. I just know right now by the Spirit of God that there are some givers out there. You've been giving and giving and giving, but when the blessings start coming back to you, you feel guilty. You feel greedy. You feel like you don't deserve this. God, I, I didn't want anything for my gift. I don't want... No, God's telling you, you need to learn how to receive. You gave with an open hand, and you need to learn how to receive with an open hand. When God blesses you, take it and be grateful for it. Give thanks for it. It's not wrong for you to be blessed. God wants to bless you. He loves you. God is a loving father and no parent. I know there are many parents listening to me right now. There's not a parent listening to the sound of my voice that wants their kids broke, that wants their kids defeated, that wants their kids to live in poverty. Not a one. If you want your kids broke, there's something wrong with you. God doesn't want you broke. Man, he wants to bless your socks off. And you can, in turn, turn around and be a blessing because you can't give what you don't have. And some of you need to learn how to receive. Some of you have felt guilty about some of the blessings God has given you, and it's wrong. Let me tell you something. If you feel guilty about blessings, your feelings are wrong. That's a real shock to some people right now. Yeah, your feelings can be wrong. They absolutely can. And you need to learn how to receive. You need to learn how to take a blessing and say, Thank you, Father. Give some praise for it. Give off of the blessing if that helps you. You just need to learn how to receive. And it all because Jesus redeemed us from the curse. And that blessing that Abraham had on his life belongs to us because we are in him. We are in Christ. Don't be ashamed when you're blessed. Be generous. Have an open heart. Have an open hand. Let God 
work through you. If he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. I love that saying. But some of us have a hard time letting God get stuff to us. We give. But when it comes on the receiving part, we think we're just being humble by rejecting it. That's not being humble. That's being stupid. I love you, but that's stupid. Let God bless you. Let God show up mighty in your life. Let him establish his kingdom in your finances. Amen. I need to say that again. That's 100% Holy Spirit. Let God establish his kingdom in your finances. Praise God. We need that. The church needs this. Brothers and sisters, we got to learn to sow in faith. We've got to learn to sow where we're fed. I'm not going to give out of obligation. I'm not going to give because I feel guilty. I'm not going to give because I think I should. I'm going to give in a heart of appreciation to my Father. He's done a lot for me, and I want other people to know Him that way. That's the heart of New Testament giving. So anyway, I hope that some of these lessons are really helping you. We got to get this idea, this New Testament idea of how God sees us. And we give according to that. Our giving becomes a reflection of God's heart. Let let your heart guide you in this. And I, I, and I don't mean, sometimes our hearts get off skewed and it can get weird. And we have to be careful about this. But when we really spend time with God, when we really know him, when we really get that awe, of who he is giving is so easy it it becomes so natural it's just an expression of love love demands expression love is never happy until it's expressed and one of the ways you can express your love is by giving and saying thank you father you're awesome guys i hope you're getting this i want to read you a quote by max Licato in his book applause of heaven He writes, uh, we want to come to God based on good works, on our best days and finest moments, but God doesn't love us just in our best, but at our worst. God doesn't save us just on what we've done. Only a puny God would be bought with our tithe. Only an egotistical God would be impressed with our pain. Only the temperamental God would be satisfied with our sacrifices. Only a heartless God would sell salvation to the highest bidder. But only a great God would do for his children what they cannot do for themselves. I love that. See, brothers and sisters, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. I couldn't save myself. I was a train wreck. I would have split hell wide open, and he saved me. And now every time I give, and I give on a regular basis, and I give larger amounts than I ever even dreamed possible, and the rewards have been mind-blowing. But every time I give, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful of what God's done in my life. It's so easy to give that way. I've never felt guilt. I've never been guilted into giving since I've got some of this revelation. I don't feel guilty. Man, I get excited about it because I know what God can do with it. That, my friends, is the heart of New Testament giving. That's really the essence of the tithe. 
that you get along with God, you get serious about him, and maybe you've never trusted God in this area. Maybe your finances have always been about you, and you just held on to it with a tight fist and didn't know how this was going to work, and I got to hoard and save every penny, and you've never trusted God. This is going to be a weird experience for you to open your hand. You're, you're going to feel exposed. You're going to temporarily give up some security, but the rewards are awesome. The rewards are going to blow your mind, but you're going to have to take that first step. You're going to have to open your hand and invite God in. Amen. I hope this helps you, brother and sister. Join us again next time as we continue these lessons. Thanks for joining us today. If this teaching has been a blessing to you, we ask that you share it with a friend so the light from God's Word will help them discover their journey through grace.